0: Hey there, you're listening to the Business of Baking podcast. I'm Michelle Green. And on today's episode, I'm interviewing Faye Carl of Faye Carl Cake Design, which is located in Sydney, Australia. Faye has been an absolute shining light in our industry. She is a beautiful person both inside and out. And in today's interview, we talk about what it's been like owning a business with other people and then by herself, what it's like working with her family. And she shares with us how life changed after she became a mom because she got into this industry before she had children. And now she's a mom of the beautiful. Ramona. She also talks to us a little bit about her teaching and we also talk about her new product line, how she has expanded her business, not just from making cake, but also into luster dusts. And she's got a new line of other products coming out. She just has so much to say and she's a beautiful person. And I think you're really going to like this one.
1: You're listening to the Business of Baking Podcast with Michelle Green, the small business podcast that's all about successfully running your own sweet food company without losing your mind. If you've ever brought dessert to a party and been told you can make a fortune selling those, then you're in the right place. This is an honest, straight-talking podcast about the highs and lows of being in small business. Fueled by late nights, crazy client stories, and a permanent sugar high, we're going to listen, share, and learn our way to sweet business success. Here's your host, writer, speaker, recovering cake decorator, and incurable sweet
0: tooth, Michelle Green. So I'm very excited today to be chatting to Faye Carl of Faye Carl Cake Design in Sydney, Australia. She has been in business since uh, 2006 for her solo business, but for a long time before then. I'm sure you have all, if you're listening to this, have heard of her. I'm actually a massive uh, fan of Faye's. She was kind of who I wanted to be when I grew up as a cake decorator, and then that didn't happen because I hated wedding cakes, but she makes them all beautiful and gorgeous, and there is actually a... Print interview of me chatting to Faye uh, on the blog from a couple of years ago, which I will link to in the show notes for this podcast. But it's interesting, I think, for me to see how things have changed. She is an award-winning cake decorator, crafty instructor, teaches at home, teaches abroad, runs a whole team of people, produces a lot of gorgeous stuff. In 2015, Faye won a Cake Masters Award, yay, Cake Oscars as they call them, and she's just been a shining light and a leader in the industry both from a creative point of view, and I think from a business point of view, although that's probably not something she gets to talk about too often. So, Faye, thank you so much for being here today and taking time out of your massively busy schedule to chat to me and to all the listeners of the podcast. I'm excited you're here. Thank you
1: for the invitation. It's it's lovely to chat to you.
0: So I thought we'd start out with um, just the history of you being in the business of cake. I know it's been like, I want to say at least 20 years. Probably long. I mean, technically, your own business is celebrating its eleventh anniversary this year. Yeah, so
1: we've just gone past ten years, and so it'll be eleven years in September this year. So, so tell me, I want to you know. I mean, for people um, listening might not. I know there was some, but it was pretty cool because I was actually the, the weekend. Way, I always way, think way that the first looking weekend looking in, in September is the anniversary. But but so I want to so hear took about it from the beginning. For the first time, the first week of September in two thousand and six, and I in this year for the first weekend in September, I was in Zurich at a lecture and meeting my lots time of new people and catching up with, um, with others. So, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, I so I, really, I did plan to do a blog or, um, after you know, have a party and, and, and all it of that, really but it just, it just so didn't I happen. Went back so and I just maybe job i job do it for shop, the 11th. I think you'd have to. on, That's a big deal. To have surviving business in this industry for 11 years is bloody impressive. I started a pastry apprenticeship. But within my first year of doing that, I got a job at Sweet Art in – in Paddington, and that was the main high-end cake place at the time.
0: I think they were um, the only one at the time. Yeah, yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, there wasn't anybody else in Sydney doing what they were doing. And, yeah, I was very lucky to get a job there. I, it was somebody that I was studying with was leaving there, so I knew that there was a position. I went in and I tried out and got it. Uh, so I did continue that first year of pastry cooking, but after that I dropped it and just really a decorator. So that's what
0: I've been doing ever since. Which is... Yeah. I love it. I'm just a decorator. (laughs) You say that. So When did you, so you're working at, at KCAR and when did you decide, yep, I actually want to do my own thing now. Like it's time to branch out and do my own thing.
1: Well, it was um it was myself and Margie Carter. So I met Margie at Sweet Art. We worked together. I was there for about three and a half years, I think. And there was difficult things about the job that I won't won't go into. But we we both decided to to go out and set up our own place. And it didn't happen straight away, but we got into partnership with with a couple of guys. So there was four of us in the partnership, and we set up Planet Cake, which we ran for. I can't remember but it was maybe eight eight years and then it's quite hard from a business point of view to make it work for four people so um, especially when two of them are silent partners to to make money out of that and and back in those days we hadn't started the classes so the the seasonal thing really killed us so we would be fine during summer but we would we would really fall behind in winter and we never really found a solution to that so um I guess we decided that we would let the partnership go. We sold the business and then... um it was kind of by accident again that I fell back into doing cakes like I didn't I didn't think that I wasn't sure if I would continue doing it and I actually started studying and then um, I was getting private orders and I I never really had a plan to launch this business but I I started getting all of these referrals and then it just it kind of took off so the referrals I was getting were for kids cakes and it was really my own effort that, you know, the wedding side of it grew and became, you know, the main thing that I do.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that actually, because we, I have this conversation with cake makers all the time that they're like, people keep asking me for kids' cakes, but I want to be a wedding cake maker. And yeah. they always ask me, how do I, how do I become the cake maker I want to be? And my yeah. answer, generally speaking, is, well, you, need to show them that you do it and then they will follow and I I say if your website or if your social media is filled with photos of kids cakes well that's what they're going to order because that's what they see and so I often tell people you need to kind of create not the illusion that's probably not the right word but you need to create the business you want to be and then the people will come I mean just because somebody's ordered a Wiggles cake or something doesn't mean that that's the one you necessarily share publicly so how did you transition from the I'm just doing everything, but now I want this to be this high-end, beautiful wedding cake.
1: I, I guess probably is a lot of that. It's, it, it is what people see, so it's what I was putting on the website. I mean, I always had the cute kids' cakes there. I never, I guess the stuff that I had on there was in the simplest style, so it wasn't, um, structures or super complex, detailed. I mean, I, I really like the cute stuff and, I guess when it comes to that style of work, it's, it's easier to make money if you make it kind of cute and simple. And, um, yeah, the, the wedding stuff, I guess I, I feel like I've had a lot of luck in my, in my journey in cakes that, um, you know, it just got out there in magazines and it's hard to even remember what, what happened, but you know, stuff got published. I think I had an article in, um, you know, newspapers were still a thing back then so <laughs> maybe they still are but it's it's online so I had a little article in um in good living and you know a few a few things like that so my name just started getting out there I did do a small amount of advertising so I was doing a little bit of google advertising and in the good living magazine
0: so so you did a, a very little advertising And somehow it all managed to work. But to be fair, by then you were well connected in the industry, and there weren't the saturation that, like, there wasn't the saturation that we've got now. Exactly. I think it was lucky. My
1: my stuff stood out. I did make a um definite effort to give my my work a distinct visual style that people would recognise. So, it's probably. You know, you can't see it so much now because, you know, there's just so much out there. But at the time, I think the, the standard tier height was four inches. And then I decided my standard tier height would be five inches, which somehow now has become normal. But at the time, it just gave my stuff a very distinctive look. And, you know, people could recognize it straight away as my, my work and had particular proportions that were, um, that I was using that became a little bit of a signature and.
0: And also the probably. sharp edge thing, to be fair, Faye, yeah. I think you absolutely, you like absolutely pioneered the sharp edges.
1: Um, I don't know if, I mean, I didn't invent it and it was something that I kind of learned from somebody that I was working from, but I think the way that I used it made just really caught on, I guess. And then definitely the silver and gold, people weren't weren't using that on, on cakes before. So, you know, that became a big a big thing that everybody wanted to, to know about and very um
0: influential, I guess. You know what? Can I tell you, your modesty is, is like, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> Faye, you inspired and continue to inspire a whole generation, like more than a generation of cake makers who now create these beautiful, luxurious finishes. And really, you had a very distinct hand in that. <laughs> No, you're like I guess this wasn't a big deal totally a big deal Faye I'm here to tell you totally a big deal. for sure I'm telling you when I got into this industry I completely wanted to be exact I was like I want to create stuff like Faye makes and in the end it wasn't the right thing for me because I, I discovered that wedding cakes were too stressful for me and my personality wasn't suited to metallics and florals but for sure for a long time I held you up as like this goddess which because you are a goddess hello So I wanted to chat about. So now you run the business; it's been going for a bit less than eleven years. And I wanted to talk to you about the running of the business. So I actually recently read that you're one of six kids. I didn't realize that. That's like amazing. Yeah. Um, but you work with your sister uh, Marie, and I know that that she works with you. And so, what is that like? I think if I, I don't think I could cope with working with my sister. And a lot of people, by the way, do start out like that in partnerships or with cousins or whatever so could you tell us a bit about what it's like to work with your sister she might hear this though so you better be nice
1: um it wouldn't work for everybody but it's um it's worked out really well for us so my sister she wasn't my first employee but early on became involved and in the beginning it was it was still when i was at home so it's just things like making ganache and then she um you know, started to learn flowers and, and then, you know, it got to the point where she's making most of our flowers and it's, it's been good. She's, um, she's very productive, easy to work with. Everybody likes her. So do you guys ever, do you,
0: do you ever talk shop like over the dinner table or whatever?
1: Uh, no, not that much really. No, really? a little. The news is that my sister is leaving. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So she's moving away from Sydney and, yeah, she's going to be leaving in a couple of weeks. So it'll be an adjustment for us, I guess.
0: Yeah. You have like four other siblings you can choose from, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're all off doing other things. That's, that's kind of sad, but at the same time, if she's moving on to bigger and better things, I think then that's amazing, right?
1: It's great. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, I'm the kind of person that just goes with things as, um as they happen. And, you know, it was, yeah, I remember it was tough to lose my, my first full-time employee that she, you know, she became a really valuable part of the business. But, you know, you just move on and uh, let the next thing happen,
0: I guess. I think that's the thing about being in business is that you have to really, really learn how to just roll with it. Like you, yeah. you learn how resourceful and how adjustable you actually are. And that it's, you know, it's terrible to say, but pretty much everyone other than you is expendable in a business. You know, you can retrain, you can rehire, you can re whatever people are replaceable, which is an awful thing to think about, but that's the reality of it. You can't hang yeah. your business on one person or one situation. Cause that leaves you in a really, really vulnerable position, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And it's, you know, it's, it's, can be hard, um, you know, training somebody up and then they leave, but, you know, you're investing your, your time and your resources into that. But it, um, you know, it is what it is. You can't control
0: the choices that other people make. Well, that, that, that exactly right. You can't, that's, you know what, that's a fantastic fake quotable. You cannot control the choices that other people make. It's true. You really can, not you know, we, we want to be able to, and I think it's particularly hard with staff in a small business because it's, it becomes a family, you know, when there's only four of you or five of you or whatever it is and you're in there together day in, day out, you know, we spend more time at work than we do at home really. And it's, it's hard when one of one person isn't quite, happy or is moving away or whatever it can be hard to lose a family member you
1: know yeah yeah it really is yeah and yeah I don't know if you remember but I've I've had a bit of an intern program for you know I've had several interns come through and they've gone on to um you know work in the industry or have their own businesses and the reason that I don't have an intern at the moment is that our our last one we we loved her so much we kept her around for um the paid um portion of the internship so you know she's now a permanent
0: employee and we all and thus no internship required <laughs> yeah, yeah. i think that's kind of a good thing though So on the topic, on the topic of family and, and a small business and it all becoming family oriented, I know that you are a mum to the gorgeous Ramona, who I have had the pleasure of meeting. All, all energy, that child. Uh, and she's gorgeous. Uh, and she, she's five. Yeah, she's five. So, so you're unusual, I have to say, in the industry in that not everyone, of course, right, but the vast majority of people I speak to became cake makers because they had a child. Like if they have a kid, it's their kid's first birthday, they bust open some easy book on how to make a kid's cake and suddenly it's like the whole world has opened up to them. But you were a cake maker long before you became a mum. So tell me a little bit about having Ramona on the scene has changed or not changed. Your perspective on business and running things and kind of trying to fit all that in at once. We make
1: a difference. So, um, yeah, I've noticed that as well, like the greatest category of students we have is sort of moms with very young kids. So, and they're, you know, getting into the industry, whereas I didn't have Ramona till I was over 40 and very established. So it did make a big difference. So I guess I'm one of those people, it's very common that, you know, you just over- overwork and promise yourself that you'll cut down, but it never happens. And then, um, week after week it's the same you're you know working these ridiculous hours but I had daughter I I can't do that so it was really her coming onto the scene that changed the business I guess that you know I had to get more staff in and initially that was that was quite hard I guess I you know I just I didn't really know how I was going to manage it the whole time I was pregnant like how how is this going to look? And, you know, it was a, it was a big adjustment. I guess what, one of the things is that I have a commercial building that I, I live upstairs and the business is downstairs. So that did help a lot. So even now it's, it's not that common that I work at night, but if I have to, then at least I can wait till she goes to sleep and come down or I can get up super early in the morning and come downstairs while she's still asleep. And it's not as hard as it would be going to a different location. But yeah, I guess in the beginning, it was, um, you know, getting the staffing thing right was really hard. And there was, I've been really lucky in the business that's always been profitable. But the there was just one order after I had my daughter where it was overstaffed and my staff weren't being as productive as I would like. That didn't do very well financially. So I had to, you know, it was a little bit of a shock and I had to adjust to that. So yeah, it was a learning process after she came along.
0: Did you find that having her kind of changed your attitude about money and business money? I'll I'll explain what I mean by that. So, you know, it's not uncommon for me to hear with regards to women in business and pricing, like they feel bad for charging so much, or they feel guilty for charging so much of this kind of like women and money is a very interesting topic to me. And my, my take on this was, I had kids. And so my business had to make money because I needed to feed them. It's okay if I'm living on noodles and inexpensive bread or whatever, but it wasn't okay if my kids were doing that. And I found that my my perspective on money and business changed a lot because of my kids. Once it became less about my lifestyle and more about their lifestyle as well, it totally changed how I thought about things, right? Now, I've never been somebody who has this, like, I feel bad for charging, none of that but I certainly didn't have as much emotional turmoil about money once I had kids because it became about them. So did that change your attitude about kind of money and business and that sort of stuff at all, or has it been the same?
1: I'm not really sure. I mean, I guess I'm always, I've always been someone that, you know, I don't come from a family with money, so I have to make my own living. I don't have anything else to fall fall back on. So I have to work hard and, um, you know, my work has to pay for my expenses so yeah I've never been an extravagant person but yeah I do I guess I think about the future a lot more with my daughter like, say for example what she's going to do when she studies are we going to convert this place where there's a flat for her while she studies and we retire somewhere else or you know some, uh, that that sort of thing I guess
0: yeah. okay that would be cool everybody wants a mother like that <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> i know i mean i don't i don't know if that's what's going to happen but you know these these are the sort of things that we think about i guess
0: yeah it i don't know it, you know there's plenty of people who start businesses without kids but i think that the, the the financial pressure of children or even a mortgage just some big financial outlay or whatever is a little bit daunting you know So it was interesting that you mentioned um, earlier in this chat about how when you had Planet Cake, the seasonal thing was a, was a big problem. And it's a problem for all of us, right? That's certainly not not unique to um, to anybody. And the truth is we just make more high-end cakes in the summertime and whatever. Now, I found this to be the case. Although I specialized in kids' cakes, the same was true for me. And it took me a long time to figure out. It was like, people have kids all year round. Birthdays happen all year round. It's not like weddings. So why is it seasonal? And what I eventually worked out was the reason why kids' cakes is seasonal is because in the wintertime, people were having indoor parties. This was my big thing, right? And so indoor parties, if you're having it like a play center or whatever, you know, like a, I don't know, gymnastics place or whatever, they generally have the cake as part of the package deal or whatever. Or they have parties at home. And when it's at home, that you know, they're more likely to make it themselves. It took me a long time to work that out because I'm like, surely people are born all year. But then in the summertime, when the weather gets better, they're having parties at parks and parties at pools and parties in their backyard or whatever. And they're less inclined to get it from the venue itself. So it took me a while yeah. to figure that out. And one thing people don't know about your business is that you actually do create kids' cakes. And I talk about you in class all the time. I say to people that just because your niche is in one thing, it doesn't mean that you shut the door to everything else. It just means that maybe that's not the thing you advertise most or whatever. So I'm outing you, Faye, as a kids' cake maker on occasion as well. Uh, and when I say that, by the way, most of my students are like, you've gotta be kidding me, how is that possible? And I'm like, right. well, if you need to pay the bills, you need to pay the bills. And if that's what people are ordering, that's what they're ordering. So tell us what you do that's not beautiful metallic wedding cake.
1: Yeah, so it's not something that I, that I push a lot, although we, we post, um, post our kids' cakes and christening cakes, maybe they're not the things that get the big wows. Yeah, I guess it's, um, it does pay the bill. So when the wedding cakes fall off during winter, then you know we take a, a bit more christening cakes and birthday cakes and things like that. I would always preference the wedding cakes, but you know we're, we're quite lucky that during wedding season we get booked up. So you can just decline those orders. By the time those people get to you, you already have full book, so you you don't have to take them. But during during winter then I do it's I guess it's harder like I because I've been doing it for so long I'm pretty fast so I can make kids cakes and it's not a big deal but I think it's a hard thing to train staff at if they're they're predominantly working on wedding cakes and they don't get the experience on kids cakes and I know if I do it myself I can do it in half the time or a quarter of the time if, if I'm around I'll, I'll do that stuff myself rather than training other people whereas it's very worthwhile for me to to be training up people in the at the wedding stuff.
0: And we should say it's kids cakes, but it's face style kids cakes. I mean, we're not talking about like 3D dragons or anything. We're talking yeah. about still still has that soft beautiful Very romantic style to it. We're not talking about Spider-Man or whatever, like hanging off the side of a building or whatever.
1: Yeah, well I guess I've been doing it for long enough to know my strengths, so mostly it's, mostly it's cute stuff. It's been a couple of years now that I've, I've said no, I won't do 3D cars and motorbikes and things like that, and then if it's something super complex and technical, then I'm less likely to take it on now. But there's a few realistic things that I'm comfortable with, you know, a few foodie things that I can do. I can do a reasonable job on um, a little bit more in the realistic style, but mostly, you know, what I like myself is the the cute stuff.
0: So now we all know your, your secret, not that it's a secret because I've seen them for a long time now, but I also know that the last time we spoke, which was like interview style, which was a couple of years ago, you were you had just released your very first tutorial and you were just kind of like on the edge of this whole teaching thing. And I think it's fair to say Although, please correct me if I'm wrong, that in the time between then and now, which is about the last four years, your teaching career has just exploded. Now, you've always taught. In fact, the way I first met you is that I came and did a class, not with you, but in your studio. I actually recently found the photos of that. I look ridiculous. But anyway, I might have to put those. I might have to post those and be like, see, proof. I was in Face Teaching. So, but I know that for you at the beginning, there was a real... I would not know if it's reluctance, but there was kind of like a hesitation around the teaching and stuff. And now in the last couple of years, you've really taken off by that. I know you've just come back from Europe and you've always taught locally, but the international part of it, I think, has really grown. Tell me a little bit about the teaching thing now. Has that hesitation disappeared? Is it like now i got to pay the bills so I do it? Is it? Do you love it? Just talk to us about Um. that. I guess it's it's the part of
1: the business that i find the most rewarding i guess so you know I'm, I'm a very shy person so getting up in front of a group of people that you know sometimes i feel like they have a very high level of expectation and you know i feel a little bit embarrassed that sometimes that they think they're meeting a celebrity or they are meeting a celebrity <laughs> <laughs> i'm going over right now this is the you know my glamorous location in marrickville so um I guess the overseas stuff. Um, when my daughter was a lot younger, I was turning down a lot of invitations. So even these days, it's not something that I that I seek out myself. It's mostly by invitation. So people contact me, and it's you know it's very hard to turn down if somebody's inviting you to some exotic place that you've never been before. Of course, I want to say yes to that, and it's a, it's a matter of fitting fitting it in and balancing it. And then it comes to doing it. There's a, another layer of stress on top of the teaching that I do here where it's overseas and materials might be different and then you're working with a host and preparation and just worrying about things going wrong or, or not working. But then there's the positive side of it that my students are super, super lovely. Like I've had very good um, experiences. You know, I have friends all around the world and my, even though sometimes I feel like my confidence is lacking with teaching that um, I, I do get nice feedback feedback. And there's people that have been in my classes are often my biggest supporters on social media. So they're people that will comment on my Facebook and things like that. So yeah, it's just I've been very lucky with it, I
0: guess. I think, I think the nerves never really leave you though. I mean, I, I've taught all over the world too. And I find that I'm still having, you know, like a mini heart attack before I say hello. Yeah. And always, always the first 20 minutes of me talking is really fast and really nervous and me cursing yeah. a lot, cause it's, which is a sure yeah. sign that I'm nervous. And it kind of takes yeah. me a bit of time to go, they're not going to eat me alive. They're not expecting me to have all the answers. They just want to learn something. I think in our heads, we build it up that the expectation is way bigger than it actually is.
1: Yeah, I find I, I quite like the two day classes that I do, um, both for, um, you know, just the, the content and the range of learning and not having to. Deal with so much time pressure but also because of just getting to know people a little bit I feel often on the second day I'm just a little bit more settled and comfortable with everybody and yeah, it's, it's just nice to kind of build that relationship over a couple of days, I
0: guess. Yeah, I love teaching. And, and, you know, I, it's interesting because I think our industry has gone through a lot of changes in the teaching world. You know, four or five years ago, live teaching was the thing. Then with the rise and rise and rise of video teaching, that became a thing. But I think actually now there's a real comeback to live teaching. I, I think it's, it's yeah. coming back a little bit. I think there's a bit of a resurgence now.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's just a really nice thing for people to do and it's both learning and it can be a social thing. So one of my recent classes in Oxford, there was a whole, whole lot of people from a particular Facebook group that were getting together. Some were meeting for the same, t- for the first time and were um, reconnecting and just, you know, having a get together and that was really nice. But I think it's also, uh, just about um, feeling a little bit re-energized and inspired by uh, uh, getting, getting out of the, the little zone that they're in, getting into a different environment, just, you know, seeing a different approach and, you know, thinking about how they can apply that to their, their own work. So
0: yeah. hey, that's so, that's so true that I think what's missing, I, I'm not anti-video, so don't get me wrong on that, but I think what's missing from those videos is the human interaction as in the other students right? The yeah. other people that are there to talk to you and whatever. And I, I find for me video learning really hard. I'm, I'm too, I'm too easily distracted. So yeah. I, I've tried, I've tried watching video classes so many times and like half an hour later, I'm like, Oh wait, I'm on Facebook now. How did that happen?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As much as I, I, I quite like them, but I've, I find it's very hard to make the time to to do them. So I have set up a video screen in my studio, but I just haven't got to the stage of actually hooking stuff up and start to play them. Because all my staff are interested in you know the crafty classes, and I am as well. Like some of those those people are like my idols that I want to you know I want to get an insight into how they approach their work their work. So.
0: All right, yeah, Faye. Can- we need to know who are your idols.
1: Well, um, Maggie Austin. Yeah, I just see see her her visual style and how she approaches things. Um, Wendy Cromer, I love her. Um, Zoe Clark. And I guess my interest is in anything to do with sugar flowers and piping. So yeah, Jacqueline Butler. I did recently watch an Alan Dunn, which I found really interesting and, and actually quite approachable. So
0: yeah, I liked his style as well. That list is like a who's who of romantic cake makers. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like if we were to like set up a wedding of the most romantic wedding in the world, we would have to invite all those people to like make a cake as part of the, the dessert table or whatever. So I think it's fair to say, Faye, that from the time you started until now, the cake industry looks much different. Even just in your current business, it looks significantly different, both in terms of Will style, of course, but also the amount of people that are in it and what they're doing and what we're all achieving. And I mean, I think we, you know, artistically we've pushed the boundaries and then and continue to and then some. But also from a business point of view, when you started, you were it. Other than you know, it was like you and cake art, nobody else really. But now it's a very very different landscape. So do you think the industry has changed for the better or for the worse, or is it just progress and it is what it is? Because you would have had to. I mean, one of the things about teaching, right, is that the fear around teaching, I don't believe in this fear, but one of the common fears around teaching is that, well, I'm just going to teach on all these people who will then become my competitors and undercut me and stuff. So, what do you think about the industry change? Are we doing better? Are we doing worse?
1: About the same? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. It always, um was a fear and I guess it wasn't, it wasn't even necessarily about them being competitors. It was, because i I guess I do feel like if you if you're doing good work then there you know there is customers there for you but it was partly it was just about once you start teaching and then people are taking on that style and doing similar things then people uh, you know your your customers don't see you as being that much. More distinctive anymore, so they don't, they're kind of looking at similar stuff on different, different websites and it's hard, you know, they, they don't know that maybe that style sort of came from me. So I think it it can be hard and sometimes it does feel like people working from home can just basically do a similar style of cake and charge less for it. And I, you know, I'm not able to match those prices because I have staff and a whole, whole extra layer of expenses that they don't have, but yeah, I think I still think in general that if you if you're doing good work then you will have
0: you will have customers. Yeah, I think that too. I you know it's funny, maybe I'm just a bit of a traditionalist, but there's bits about our industry that drive me crazy. Like it makes me crazy that there's cutters and molds for everything now. Yeah. And that people yeah. think they're not capable of doing things because they haven't purchased the right cutter or mold. On the one hand, a mold for progress, right? We all need to having new tools is great. On the other hand, I think we've really developed a dependence on those things, which is not necessarily a healthy one.
1: Yeah, I um, I guess, you know, over time I've got a, quite a big collection of those things, but I'm not somebody that even wants to have every little thing because I would rather do something. I guess if somebody comes in and they, they're showing you something that might have a particular mold or cutter, you know, what I would try and do is just take the the feeling from that cake and, and use the the tools and equipment that I have to, to create something to similar feeling. That's not exactly the same. I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, the customer wants this cake and now I have to track down that mold or that stencil or, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want every, every tool that's available.
0: I can't afford every tool that's available. I feel like those <laughs> things, I feel like those things come out like thousand new ones a day kind of thing. You know, you can yeah. get really obsessive yeah. about buying toys.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's lots of really amazing things, Um, but even, you know, I've got these beautiful um, lace moulds or whatever that I haven't used that often, and the ones that I like now are just very simple, like just the, you know, fishnet or the snake skin, the really patterned ones I'm hardly using now, so it's, I think you just have to use use what you have and, you know, be a little bit more creative with it.
0: So I'm excited to know that you have now uh, moved into the area of products and you've come out with this line of Luster Dusts, the official Fei Luster Dust, which is exciting. So tell me how that came about because that, like, I have to say, I never thought there'd be a Fey product line and there is and it's exciting.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I guess I've thought about products for, for quite a while. So the, the luster dusts are one thing, but I am also uh, have a new line of stencils that, that I'll be releasing quite soon. So I've had the one stencil that I've been selling for a while, but I've been developing some, some more designs. So, um, yeah, they, they will be something that's coming up soon. And then the, the luster dusts, I guess, yeah. Um, they are something that I get asked about a lot and, yeah, I guess it, it's um, something that I really enjoyed working on because it was just sharing the particular uh, colour aesthetic that, that I use in my work and, yeah, coming up with a, a line of uh, shades that kind of reflected the what I was seeing happening in weddings. So, yeah, I just found that a really interesting process to, to work on those and I guess uh, one of the things is that there has been um, products edible and, you know, I wanted to make sure that the I worked with a, a really reputable supplier of minerals to come up with formulas that were um, definitely food approved and totally edible.
0: And can I say, I love the fact that they come in big pots. Yeah, yeah, like absolutely. Actual usable sizes. So you don't need to buy no. like 40 little itty bitty teeny tiny little thingies. Pretty amazing. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I mean, that was, um, yeah, when, I guess it, uh, things that people have
1: asked me in classes or um, online that where can I get sort of larger quantities of luster or where do you get that stencil or whatever. So yeah, it's just all sort of a, a response to the, the feedback that I get from from other parts of the business.
0: I love it. This is so exciting. And I'm excited. I didn't know there were stencils coming too. So that's also exciting.
1: Yeah, It is.
0: All right, Faye, final question. If you could go back in time and chat to the Faye who started this business, not the ones previous, this one, so the current uh, iteration of your business, what advice would you give yourself?
1: Oh, boy, it's it's really hard. I feel like, you know, although I've made mistakes, I feel like I've had a lot of luck and the business has gone well. You know, one of the things that's stressful is setting up a commercial premises. So... Although I wouldn't go back to working from home, I, I don't think I would have gone through the two moves that, that I've had. So I set up a smaller studio, which, which was my first step out of home. And it was like affordable rent, but it was very small space. So I guess maybe I would have stayed at home for longer or maybe looked at, you know, moving to a place where it was the business was um, a little bit separate from the the house but yeah I mean overall I can't say that I have a lot of things that I would change
0: I think you know everything's a stepping stone right it's only by learning yeah. that we improve and get better and find new things and whatever somebody asked that same question of me and my answer yeah. was I've had various answers at various times I guess it depends on when you catch me but I've often said that I would just tell myself to actually enjoy it more and not and just kind of I think we get so caught up in stress and worry and panic about immediate short-term things that we fail to enjoy the long-term joy of it. I mean, the fact is every day that you're in business is another day that you made it happen. Yeah. Maybe it's not perfect, but you made it happen.
1: Yeah, well that's probably a good one for me too. I do take it, um, you know, I do take it very seriously and sometimes it's it's not easy just to relax and goof around and probably these days I'm, you know, having a little bit more of a laugh with my my team and things like that, whereas it was all just couldn't stop thinking about the next you know, the next process or the next um the list of things that I had to keep together for that week and
0: yeah. Yeah. I know. We just forget to have fun. Like we, we stress out so much, you know, and the the truth is it is a real joy. It's not easy, but there are so many joyous parts about it. You get, it is true that you get to be your own boss and of course that comes with hard parts, but that comes with awesome parts too. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've always attracted nice people
1: into the business. So I, you know, I work with nice people your, your clients are, you know, often at a very happy part
0: of their life. So it's, it's nice. Faye, we need to give you some partying. um, We need to give you some homework to go and have that party this year. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You're invited. Oh, oh, that's good. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't fishing for an invite, but I think that'd be so cool. I just think yeah. it's, it's a massive milestone. 10 years, yeah. 11 years now is a long yeah. time to have survived, particularly yeah. when you consider that in that 11 years is when this industry blew up like crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, when I first started, you know, I wasn't even on Facebook and I, you know, I wasn't getting cakes bombarded with cake images like every day of my life from the moment that I wake up. So It's very different, and then hearing people's opinions about things like that you've never been doing for years, and then suddenly you know something's a huge issue online, and you know everyone's talking about it. It's just you know it's just a completely different world, really.
0: Yeah, sometimes I don't know that that's doing us any favors. (laughs) I mean, I love I love social media and whatever, but it also unfortunately gives rise to the opportunity for people to kind of do and say cruel things with no real um, yeah. consequences yeah. to it, I guess. So it yeah. kind of makes me sad, really. Although, honestly, yeah. Fay, I cannot imagine anybody having anything bad to say about you. You have always been, every time I've met you, one of the most just genuinely nice people who Aww. has always had such a I um, I don't know, I just, I just, you're just so, just a beautiful person. And very much the picture of the businesswoman who doesn't feel the need to translate that into being secretive or, or mean or whatever, you just are who you are. And I just, I love that about you. I I actually think about you that your cakes style is a reflection of who you are. Just that beautifully gentle, gorgeous creation that actually has a lot of impact, although it doesn't necessarily walk in the door with loads of fanfare. So I just think you're amazing. And I've always admired the work you do and the fact that you're just an amazing business owner and now mom. And so it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. For now being interviewed by me twice. <laughs> You're actually the first person I've done twice, so there you go.
1: Wow.
0: Oh well, that's, oh, that's very lovely. I'm,
1: yeah, I'm a big fan of your work as well.
0: I tell you what, maybe you and I should just have a party together. Let's just have the Michelle yeah, and Faye yeah. party. Yeah. Next time I come yeah. to Sydney, right? You, you bringing the cake though, alright? <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> but I'm not picky, so offcuts is good. I'm good with offcuts. Oh. I'm good with offcuts. So thank you guys all for listening to me chat to Faye today. Um, As usual, she's just a pleasure. And I will provide all the links to her various uh, social media sites and websites so you can see her work in person if you're not familiar with it already. Thank you so much for listening today. If you want to reach me, just send an email to michelle at thebizitbaking.com and show notes and all the important stuff can be found on the blog at thebizitbaking.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.
1: Thanks for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. You can find show notes, links, and other fun stuff for this and previous episodes at thebizofbaking.com. Until next time, may your oven stay evenly hot, your ganache never split, and may you always be in the
0: business of being awesome.